The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. This is Jeff Fignard. My name is Aaron Smith and I'm his little sister. Jeff was always looking to fit in, looking to be loved, accepted. He fell on paths of looking wrong places to feel good, different vices such as drugs and alcohol and he often kind of ran away from his problems. When our mother became ill with colon cancer, Jeff came home, had a lot of trouble dealing with watching his mother. The night our mother passed, he told me that he had used so much heroin and other drugs that night that no one should have survived. I said, I can't do this. I can't go through this again. I lost our mom. I'm not gonna lose you. I'm not gonna watch this, and I walked away. I didn't see him probably for about a year. He ended up in jail a few times, the longest one being, you know, a three-year stint and then getting out, getting back into his old ways of drugs and alcohol and lying. He's a diabetic and he became ill and his sugar dropped and he ended up breaking his leg at work. After weeks of therapy, he was discharged and on the way home, he was run off the road. Jeff is flown forward, hits the windshield, the passenger passes and he suffers a traumatic brain injury. They warned his family, us, his girlfriend at the time and his son that he may not make it. And if he does, that he definitely will never walk, eat. He may not even know who we are when he wakes up. What has been your life crushing situation. Every one of us at some point in life have faced tragedy, have suffered, have dealt with dying. And I don't know what your story is, but I know you have a story. And if you don't have a story, all of the rest of us know that eventually you will. It's not a threat. It's just reality. The reality is that life is tragic. Life is painful. As we go through life, we suffer. We feel as though every day we are in the process of dying. Some of the tragedy is of our own making, choices we've made like Jeff made. Some of those crises and tragedies and situations that are not of our making, accidents happen. They're unexplainable. They're painful, but they leave every one of us filling in the blank saying, I am suffering. I am dying. In fact, few of us ever truly know what it feels like to live because from the moment we are born, we know we're on a journey of dying. And so tragedy and suffering and death itself feel like uninvited and unwelcome guests at the party of every one of our lives. And we want to celebrate, and we want to live, and we want to hold on to our youth, but all along the way, we realize we are simply dying. And any attempt we make at not dying is simply preserving our miserable, painful, suffering life a little longer while we face death. Life is a struggle of futility to keep us from dying, and then there is this painful reality of the finality of death. And if there's any consolation, it's simply this. 
that God didn't avoid it. God didn't stick his head, head in the sand and pretend like death isn't a reality of our lives. And when the story of the way God interacts with man was written, the Bible, it's not just a big smile. No, the Bible itself is filled with pages of grief and tragedy and pain, and it deals head on with the reality of death. And when God came to earth as a man, Jesus, he didn't get to steer clear of the pain and the suffering and the tragedies of death itself. Not only did he face death, but he grieved the loss of those he loved. In fact, the, the historical narrative I want to bring to your attention today is a story of Jesus showing up late to his friend's funeral. It's written in the, what's called the Gospel according to John, one of the friends and followers of Jesus, a guy that was there when Jesus did signs, wonders, and miracles, a man that heard Jesus teach firsthand. He saw Jesus crucified. He experienced Jesus when he resurrected from the grave. Later on in John's life, he sat down and wrote out the story from his own eyewitness experience of the life and teachings of Jesus, of his death and his resurrection. And we have that written account. It's called the Gospel According to John. It's in your Bible. And in John chapter 11, there is a story of Jesus showing up late to a funeral. Let me read it to you a little bit. And obviously, I gave away a little bit of the story already. So when I start reading, you're going to know where this story goes. John chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. Yet, even though he loved them, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. You know, normally when you hear that someone is sick, you jump on a plane if you know they're dying and you show up at the hospital bed, right, to give your final goodbyes. Uh, if you're only a few miles away, it's kind of like expected. Even if you're just a friend. I mean, if you're just a short ways away, you have to show up, right? And jump down to verse 18. Uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are in a small village called Bethany. And it says in verse 18, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. In fact, if you stand in the city of Jerusalem and you look out from the city, you look straight out across to the Mount of Olives. And it's just a small little walk. You literally walk down from Jerusalem, down the hill. You walk up the next hill, which is the Mount of Olives. At the top of the Mount of Olives is the small village of Bethany. Jesus was over in Jerusalem. Literally all he had to do was like walk down and walk. I mean, it would have taken him, you know, a half an hour. And, and it says, yet he didn't even bother showing up at his friend Lazarus' bedside when he's dying. And it's interesting that's even included there. But it probably captures how many of us feel when you're laying in bed feeling like you're dying. When it's your brother, when it's Jeff, when it's a family member or a friend, you sit there by their bedside and then you attend the funeral and you think, where is Jesus in the middle of this? He doesn't seem like he's that far away. He's just not here. Maybe I have to show up at church and I feel like he's there, but he's not at the funeral. He's not at the bedside. Where is God in the middle of my mess? Where is God in the middle of the suffering and the tragedy? And so when Jesus does show up, the sister comes running to him. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had showed up on time, 
we wouldn't be here today suffering. Jesus, if you had showed up and done something about my brother's addiction, he wouldn't have ended up in the hospital bed near death. Jesus, God, if you're really real, you would have showed up in my crisis and turned my story around if you had been there, but you weren't. And it feels like this is how the story ends. You saw the video. Kind of seems like the end of the story. In your, in your circumstances, tragedy and suffering and death feel like the end of the story. But this story about Lazarus and Jesus showing up a little late to a funeral, is it written to indicate to us that death is the end of the story of life? No. In fact, this story, this historical account of Jesus showing up late to a funeral is a little sneak peek into the most significant message ever told. This message, the central message of the Christian faith is the mission of Jesus. And it applies to every one of our lives. For every person that could say, I am suffering. I am enduring tragedy. I am dying. This central message of the Christian faith, which is the summary statement of the mission of Jesus, applies to every one of our lives, and it's simply this. You and I can and will live for eternity. I'd encourage you to take a moment and write that down. Feel free to pull out your smartphone or a tablet, and you can type that right in. If you're on social media, you can put this in your post. You can feel free to turn on Facebook Live, and maybe you can share this one message with your friends. Anybody who's going to log in and pay attention to what you're Facebook living, and you can put this in the comment section. Live for eternity. My question and challenge to you is, are you living for eternity? Or are you fighting to live just a little longer in this reality? In the future, you're going to go to another funeral. In the future, you're going to show up at the bedside of someone else you love who is dying. And it hurts. It hurts every time. And we grieve, and it rips our heart out. And we walk away from those moments saying life is too short, life is futile, and death is final. We walk away thinking that wasn't fair. Why couldn't we keep her just a little bit longer? Why did he have to go so soon? And then we look at our own life, and we look in the mirror, and here is what most of us struggle to do, to preserve life as long as possible. We live most days striving to find some type of fountain of youth. So we exercise. We go to the doctor and we get a physical and they tell us, no, you need to get on this medication. Why? To get longevity. You need to change your eating habits. What you're doing is killing you. Change your eating so you can live a little longer. Hey, and I'm, by the way, I'm not suggesting that's a bad thing. You should probably stay healthy, right? But what we're all doing is we're all trying to survive a little longer. We're striving to live, but it's impossible. It's impossible because we're not living, we're dying. Every cell in our body is breaking down. No matter what makeup you put on it, no matter what cream you buy, no matter how much you work out, no matter how right you eat, every one of us Every piece 
and organ and cell in our body is dying. And that's the bad news. Actually, the news gets worse. The reason we're dying is because there is a spiritual curse on our life called sin. Sin is a spiritual cell that is metastasized inside of us, and it's spreading. Sin is a spiritual disease that leads to death. Sin is this spiritual part of us. We were conceived with sin inside of us, and it causes us to have desires that destroy us. Sin turns those desires into decisions that lead to our destruction. Sin, a spiritual curse that leads to physical death. It leads to a physical destruction in our thinking, our emotions, and our relationships. Sin, a spiritual curse that leads to physical death, also cuts us off from relationship with God. Because God can have no relationship with sinful beings or anything evil. When, because of sin in our lives, we are separated from God forever. The ultimate curse of sin is that when we physically die, we go on dying. We live, but we live in eternal suffering. And if that was the end of the story, there would be no Easter. This funeral of Lazarus dying would be the worst story ever told. But the story doesn't end with the bad news of Lazarus' death. The story doesn't end with the bad news that sin ruins our lives. Sin leads to tragedy and sickness and death, that sin separates us from God and leads us to eternal judgment. No, that's not the end of the story. Here, in fact, is how Jesus interrupts grieving people. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's talking with Martha, and then he says this in verse 25, one of the boldest, most powerful statements ever spoken. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Let me just, wow. Here's what Jesus is saying. You can be alive, but not living. But if you believe in me, you can have access to life because I am life. I am the resurrection. Outside of me, this is Jesus, outside of me, there is no life. There is only dying, death, and eternal suffering. He said, I am the resurrection. I can take what was once dead and give it life. And I am that life. Jesus is not being generic here. He is not saying that you can kind of pick who you want to follow. You can follow this religion or that religion. You can follow that teacher or this great holy prophet. He's saying, no, no, no. Every religion will lead to death. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the only one that brings life. But when you believe in me, he continues, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Here is Martha at her brother's, you know, grieving the death of her brother, and Jesus interrupts and says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, you will live. Martha, do you believe this? And that question echoes 
through thousands of years to this moment, to every person who has ever grieved, to every person who's ever seen a loved one pass, to every person who's ever faced tragedy, we hear the words of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection, I am the life, there is no life outside of me, but in me, when you believe, you have life. Do you believe this? It's tough. It's tough to wrestle with that question. So Jesus doesn't leave it there. From this moment and this story, we're going to hear other stories, other miracles. But Jesus goes on to face his own death, his death, a unique and different death from all others. Lazarus died spiritually under sin. He died physically. Jesus, his death had a purpose because when Jesus died, he took the punishment that we all deserve for our sin. The death sentence that was placed on every one of us, Jesus took it. He collected it up. The eternal punishment he heaped on himself. If you were to imagine it like a, like a cup, so this is a metaphor. Imagine God taking all of the punishment, all, like, like a judge, collecting all of the death sentences and metaphorically gathering it into a great cup and then pouring that cup onto Jesus so that as he's dying on the cross, he's drinking up the suffering for sin. He is absorbing the blow of God against, as pouring out his wrath against judgment for sin. Jesus drinking up eternal death, eternal suffering, so that as he drinks the cup, it's being emptied into Jesus so that when he drinks the last drop, he cries out, it is finished. There is no more. There is no more suffering for sin awaiting sinners. For those who believe in Jesus by faith, Jesus' death on the cross becomes our payment. His death, our death. His spiritual suffering, our spiritual payment. So that when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven of your sins and given the life of Jesus. Where he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now let's take that principle, that truth, that reality, and let's apply it to our reality. Jesus is late to a funeral. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Then what? Verse 33, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Here he just tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he gets a little closer to the tomb where they bury Lazarus. And it says he's deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And he says, where have you laid him? He asked, and they said, come and see, Lord. And then verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And, and you've got to wonder why Jesus, who has the power of resurrection, would weep at the death of his friend. Because Jesus wasn't weeping at a physical death. He was weeping over the consequence of sin. Lazarus died because of sin. And Jesus is weeping over the painful consequence of the reality of sin and the punishment of sin and death that is the result of sin. So the next time you're at a funeral, the next time you deal with a tragedy, 
The next time you face a painful diagnosis or you walk through a, a miscarriage or you go through the death of a marriage or the, or the death of a dream, you know that Jesus wept and he weeps for you. He weeps for any people who are enduring the suffering that comes from sin. Because this moment reveals the humanity of Jesus, the compassion, the loving tenderness of God for us. That he weeps for anyone who is suffering the consequence of sin. Not necessarily that stuff that we cause, just the fact that we live in a broken, messed up, sinful world where sickness and disease and suffering happen and God weeps. But he doesn't stop at weeping. No, verse 43. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. I mean, there it is. Like there's, like there's a miracle. Jesus weeps as a response to sin. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet he's still brokenhearted. He's brokenhearted for you. He's brokenhearted for your suffering and for your tragedy. Even though he can turn the whole story around, he is brokenhearted because of the suffering that comes as a result of sin. Then in this moment, he speaks life into death. The application for you and I is that in order to live for eternity, we must experience the resurrection. You and I must experience the resurrection life that comes only from Jesus. You must experience the resurrection in you before you can experience the resurrection in eternity. The resurrection life of Jesus must become alive inside of us. And in fact, the resurrection of Lazarus is totally different from the resurrection of Jesus. This moment is not the Easter moment. Other people have been raised to life. There's other stories throughout the Bible of other miracles where someone had died and they had been resurrected back to life. This is not Easter. This is not hope. The statement that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, that is hope. That is our promise. That is Easter. This moment is not. Let me explain. Follow me here. What did Lazarus get when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. His spirit re-entered his body. What is death? Death is not the cessation of life, meaning the end of life. Death is a separation. The physical body is separated from the spirit, the physical body perishes, and the spirit is separated to something. If you do not know Jesus Christ, if you do not have the life and resurrection power of Jesus alive in you, when your spirit is separated from the body, you are separated from God to destruction. That's the bad news. If you believe in Jesus by faith, death is a separation of the spirit from the body, and the spirit is separated to God for eternity, into paradise, into the celebration of heaven. That's the good news. So how do we experience the resurrection? Lazarus did not experience the resurrection life of Jesus in that moment when he was resuscitated. He, his life returned to his body into a sinful body. Check it out. Lazarus still had a sin nature. He was going to still obey desires that would lead to his ruin. 
The next day, Lazarus is going to wake up and stub his toe and say a filthy word. The next day, Lazarus is going to have a lust-filled moment. A couple days down the road, Lazarus is going to make a bad decision. He is still going to yield to sin in certain moments. His body is still going to get sick. He is going to still succumb to the power of death. So what, what Lazarus gained was longevity in the physical body so that he can die again. That is not what Jesus intended for us. It was simply an illustration. Jesus used the resurrection of Lazarus to make a point that he has the power over death and life, that he he has the ability to give life, he has the ability to resurrect dead bodies, and if he can resurrect a physical body, that means there is something other than your body. There was something to return into that physical body. There was a spirit realm that re-enters the body of man that gives back life, and if Jesus can pull the spirit of Lazarus back into his physical body, body, then God has the power over the spiritual realm to give life and to resuscitate life. Okay, follow along with me here. That means the resurrection of Jesus is altogether different. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose victorious. He conquered the power of sin because he had died to pay the penalty of sin, to absorb the wrath of God against sin, to take on the eternal consequence of sin so that when Jesus resurrected, he paid the full price and then he conquered it. In his resurrection, he defeated the grave. He conquered hell so that in his resurrection, all can live. Jesus, when he was resurrected, his body no longer was mortal. He had a physical body that could never get sick. He had a physical body that was imperishable. He had a physical body that was immortal. That's why if you keep reading through the end of this story, Jesus like walks into a room, but he never opens a door. That's why when Jesus, all the friends are surrounding him, and then he's just like, woo, and he just ascends into heaven. Like, what was that all about? Like, because he was immortal. He could like go from earth to heaven whenever he wants. Because he is living both in the physical and the spiritual realm simultaneously. Okay, the point is this. The life of Jesus, the resurrected life of Jesus can now be alive in us. Now, what does it feel like? What What does it look like? What does it mean to have the resurrection life of Jesus in us? There was this guy named Saul. He hated Christians. In fact, he killed Christians. He was like a religious terrorist. On his way to another slaughter, he has a vision of Jesus. And that vision changed everything about his life. This historical account of this guy named Saul where he has this vision, he turns his life over to God and he becomes a Christian. The very guy who's killing Christians becomes a Christian. That's not even enough. He not only becomes a Christian, he changes his name from Saul to Paul as an indication of his changed life. And then he uses his business to fund starting churches all across Asia and Europe. After he would start a church, he would move on to start another church. He would write letters back to the churches that he started, and some of those churches, we have records of the letters he wrote. Many of those letters recorded in the Bible. He wrote two of them to a church in the city of Corinth, church that he started. And in 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote this, explaining what it means to have the resurrection life of Jesus in us. He goes like this. But someone may ask, how are, you, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, meaning you don't take, you don't take a stalk of corn and shove it in the ground, right? You don't take an apple tree and bury it, follow me. No, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, meaning it looks crummy. It's painful to go to a funeral. It's painful to see someone who's perished, but it will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Death is the ultimate giving way to weakness, but it will be raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. What, what is Paul saying? He's trying to help us understand that when you have the resurrection life of Jesus in you, there is something supernatural beating through your body. It's not in the physical. It's not in the mental. It's not emotional. It is a spiritual resurrection. And here's what it looks like. It's as though right now, when you believe in Jesus by faith, you're an acorn. But when you die physically, you will emerge an oak tree. You're not going to emerge an acorn with wings. An oak tree. It's like right now, you're an apple seed. And you don't get it. When you die, you don't just become a really cute little Cupid-looking apple seed. No, you know what you and I do? A bunch of apple seeds trying to make it to the top of the apple seed ladder. We're trying to be the cutest-looking apple seed or the most muscular-looking apple seed. We're all fighting to make our position and make a name for ourselves, to, to be known as the best apple seed. We're all trying to live as long as we can outside of the soil, fighting to not get buried. We all know that the purpose of an apple seed is to go in the ground. So an apple tree emerges, and that's what Paul is saying. He goes, look, you don't have to fear death. If you believe in Jesus by faith and the resurrection life of Jesus is at work in you, and your life today is a seed awaiting the burial into resurrected eternal life so that now you understand, if today is the seed, I will never on earth fulfill my complete potential. That will only happen in eternity. Understand that today is the slumber. The seed is not fulfilling what it was meant to be. It is simply awaiting its destiny. It's in a slumber. You are in the slumber right now. I know when you go to a funeral, they say, rest in peace. No, no. If the, if the body could speak, it would say to you, rest in peace. Why? You are the one in rest. You are the one in the sleep dream state. We are in a collective dreamy state. This is the slumber. When you die, you will be fully awakened into your greatest potential. And today, you are in the shadows. This is the shadow land, a land of tragedy and of suffering and of death. But a day will come when we will transition from death to true life, and we will discover a world that of unimaginable light, full of the love and life of God. So this is a seed, this is a slumber, this is a shadow lands. As a result, it changes how we live in this moment. Read, read, let's read a little more. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, I am the resurrection of life. He says, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out. 
His hands, this is verse 44, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen. He still had death hanging on him and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There was a mission to Lazarus' resurrection. Lazarus was going to have to make a decision to believe in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Lazarus was going to have to choose to reject a life of sin and embrace the spiritual life of God. Lazarus, every breath and every day served the purpose of being a witness to the resurrection power of Jesus. Lazarus' life had a purpose. Let me, let me challenge you. To live for eternity, understand that your life here is a temporary assignment. Lazarus' life was a temporary assignment. He was given a new shot at life to believe in Jesus, to reject sin and follow the spiritual life of God. And every moment of every day, every breath, every awakening moment was an opportunity, not for him to make a bigger, a better living, not to buy a bigger house, not to get a promotion, not to just live one more day. Every day for Lazarus was an opportunity for him to live his life as a witness to the resurrection power of Jesus. The story doesn't stop there. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, and they put their faith in him. See, the point of the resurrection of Lazarus was to point people to Jesus, so they would discover that he is the resurrection and the life. But some went to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and told them what Jesus had done. Then verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, this religious leader, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. And from that day on, they plotted to take his life, Jesus' life. It's ironic that when news made it to the religious leaders that Jesus had resurrected Lazarus back to life, their, deter their decision that day was to kill Jesus. You got That sounds a little ironic, doesn't it? I mean, he clearly has the power over life and death, and they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kill him. Jesus allowed himself to be put to death because he was here temporarily. You are here temporarily. Lazarus was here temporarily. Jesus' mission, our message, is that he was going to die, just like Caiaphas said, so that the whole world would not perish but would receive everlasting life through faith in him. When we understand that our life is a temporary assignment, it changes how we live. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. He's challenging us about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. He, he writes this, We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. He's not writing that just to encourage you and inspire you. He's writing it for a purpose, to remind us that this life is a temporary assignment. So he says in verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't let tragedy, don't let suffering, don't let even death move you away from faith in God. Don't let it rob you of the resurrection life of Jesus beating through you. Don't be moved. Don't be discouraged. Don't walk in fear and in doubt. Don't try to cling to every moment of life simply fearing that you're going to lose something. 
Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says every moment of every day, like Lazarus' breath, every breath, every day is a responsibility. How are you using every opportunity to bear witness to the resurrection life of Jesus? How are you using every decision, filtering it through the thinking, how does this make a difference for eternity? How are you looking at every relationship through the lens of eternity? How can I love God by loving them? How can I serve God by serving them? Interpret every element of life through the lens. How does this matter for eternity? I want you to know that when you begin to see your life through the resurrection life of Jesus and you begin to live for eternity, it changes everything. It changes everyone. Even a tragic story like Jeff's. So check this out. Weeks after being in the hospital, being on that ventilator, he opened his eyes and he reached for the hand of his family. You would think ending up in the situation he is here today that you would want to give up. But instead, Jeff decided this time he was going to change his ways and he was going to figure out why he was here and what the purpose was. We decided we were gonna try church. We lost our mother and Patrick was our, my neighbor at the time and he helped me survive the passing of my mother. And I said, well, let's give it a try. So church was probably the last place that we ever thought we would plant our feet, but Lifehouse has brought us to a new way of living. We were able to let our walls down between each other first and then eventually all together. And one day after church, Jeff reached over and he uses everything on this board to spell out to me and he asked that he wanted to speak to Patrick. Jeff looked at him and he said, will God forgive me of all the sins I've done and will God accept me even though I've sinned so much? And Patrick said, of course. If you want that forgiveness, you will have that forgiveness. That was the day that everything together changed because he and I had taken that step to try a different way. Because we know in the end, God has a plan for us and we may not understand it, but he'll get us through it. Jeff has said that he likes himself far more now, as he is today, than he ever did before his accident. He says if he could change one person's life, that it's all worth it. I'm very grateful and so blessed that he did because together we found Christ and we've never felt so complete and happy. You know, when it's your neighbor, it feels different, right? And you feel like sometimes, man, what words do you say? But I know this, that when an individual who has suffered unimaginable pain experiences the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they begin to live for eternity, everything changes. For Jeff, every day is not just a gift, but a responsibility. And he knows that his body is nothing more than a seed that someday will be planted and his challenge is to live every day in light of eternity. How does what I do today matter for eternity? So right now, if you believe in Jesus, your challenge, what you're being confronted with on Easter is, am I living every day in light of eternity? Every decision, every opportunity, every relationship, every financial expenditure, how does this matter for eternity? And if you don't know Jesus Christ, why pass from this life through death into forever judgment. 
Why not take hold of the resurrection life of Jesus? We believe that God's spirit is present here right now. He wants to speak to your heart. I believe he has been speaking to your heart. Would you take a moment, just kind of close your eyes? Take a moment personally. Just take a moment and pray. Allow God to speak to your heart. And while you're praying, I want to speak to a specific group of you. As I was sharing, you could relate to Jeff's story. No, you haven't OD'd on heroin and you haven't necessarily gotten a horrible car accident, but you know that you're just surviving until you die. You're living only for the moment, but today, on Easter Sunday, you are saying, I today believe in Jesus, and I want his resurrection life in me. I'm asking that God's spirit would enter into my spirit and forgive me of sin. And that's where you're at right now. I want to invite you to respond. Would you respond by just simply raising your hand high and saying, yes, Patrick, that's exactly where I'm at. Raise your hand high, and just kind of wave at me, all right, guys? All right, I see your hands. Here's what we're going to do. I want to pray with you right now. Would you keep your hand up? We have somebody who's going to hand you a quick card. I'm going to pray over you, and, and you just join me, all right? Just say, I want that life of Jesus in me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross so that he would forgive us of our sins, but thank you that he didn't stay dead, but he rose again so that we could receive resurrection life. For each person that's here that's raised their hand and they're, they're responding to you, they're saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. Would you come, forgive them, forgive them of sin, remove the shame and guilt, and in place of that guilt, would you place your life, eternal life? Lord, may you transform their lives so they would begin to live for eternity. Thank you for the gift of life. Now help every one of us to live in light of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.